0: Like just started coming in the last couple months. Anybody? So if you're new and started coming, welcome. You may not know me. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here, and I've been out for uh, two months or over two months. And um, I'm really thankful to be back with you all. And um, you know, I had a, a. time, really, to rest, recuperate, reflect, and part of reflection for me, um, looking at just what we've been a part of, our church, the last number of years, you know, starting as a small church plant in the school and being in the school for so long, and then uh, finding land here in Delano, starting a campaign to build, and then a worldwide pandemic starts, And right at the time, we launched a financial campaign, and yet God was so faithful, Um, building a building, moving into a building. At the same time, I was finishing up a seminary um, degree, and um, nobody really knew, not even my wife, just what was really going on in me. Um, I was tired, worn out, burned out, um, and I was failing to be the man that I want to be i was failing to cultivate my inner life with god and you can't do that in this job Um, and i just kept going i felt like i just needed to keep working keep going but um, no one really knew you know where my heart was and um, my priorities were out of sorts Work was sort of at the top, and I was failing in terms of my relationship with God. I was failing in my uh, relationship with my wife and my kids, and anytime our priorities aren't right, it's 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 sin. And um, I finally got to a point where I just realized, like, I can't do this anymore, and I went and talked to my wife and opened up to her. I went to Paul Johnson, I went to the overseers, and just uh, revealed to them what was really going on, which was a hard thing to do, and yet I was met with such love and grace from my wife, my family, Paul, the overseers, and um, they said, we're gonna stand next to you and help you and love you and support you, and so we're gonna have you step away for a time, And in that time, um, I started therapy. I um, got a a lot of time just to rest. I met my spiritual mentor every week or tried to meet every week. I had opportunities just to meet with people where I'm like not their pastor. Um, They could speak into me. And um, a lot of time with God and I, I, uh, the staff is reading John Mark Homer's um, book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And there was so much in there at the beginning where he was talking about a season of burnout for him where I like, I was like, oh my word, I could have written, like, he like wrote it, like what was going on. And he went on a sabbatical and he said part of, as he got through his sabbatical, he started to experience healing and fullness, but like his soul began to feel again. And like he started to feel Jesus like in a personal way. And that's what I've I feel as I've been in this time away. Like my soul can feel again. I'm like it's not just getting stuff from God so I can give it to you. Like I, I just wanna I wanna get stuff from God because like I'm his son. Like I wanna have a relationship with him. Like he cares about me before like I work for him. And I'd lost that. And um and so, thankfully, the message of the gospel is good news because when we are willing to repent, he is faithful to forgive. And, um, and there's healing available for all of us, myself included and you. And, you know, I don't know, maybe some of you are here and it's just like you're just going. And, guys, I think we're, we're, we're bad at it. We just go, 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 and we often don't, like, we don't admit it until it's, we're in a really bad spot, Um, but I want to encourage you to remember that Jesus is there with open arms when we turn back to him. There's grace and healing, and so I want to thank, I want to thank my wife, um, I want to thank my family, I want to thank Paul Johnson, the overseers, um, Lowell Seashore, my mentor, and the staff, and all of you for supporting me, filling in um, while I was out. You know, people reached out, and thank you. Thank you for your prayers. I know some of you probably are like, I'm not going to reach out because I just want to give them space, and that's great, to Thank you. Um, but I'm, I'm um, thankful that the message I get to share, the good news of Jesus, and it's a message you get to share, is true for me, and it's true for you. At one point, in, in, in like talking to my my counselor, I, I said I have to I have to like ask myself the question: Is all this stuff that I've preached for so long is it true about me? Is it true for me? Not just others, but me. And it's true for me, and it's true for you. And that's good news, and I'm thankful. So, with that, um, I came back into work um, this last week, and Brian. Go sweet. I was, so, are you back? <laughs> and I got, you know, I get asked. I was getting, like, When are you coming back? I get, I would get asked that question a lot. And that, actually, the decision was not up to me, which I think is super awesome and healthy. The overseers had to say yes. Um, and uh, but I, we met with the overseers last Monday, and uh, Kristen and I, and then we prayed, and they, they welcomed me back. And um, and then the next day, I was in working. And Brian goes, are you back? And I, and this, this quote came to my head. And I was like, what? where is that from? And then I Googled it, and I found the, it's a video clip. And it's, it's what I'd like to share with you if you're wondering if I'm back. Here it is. Oh, no, you need the audio. Otherwise, it doesn't. Well, this... well, keep asking if I'm back and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. I'm not that angry about being back, but. I do want hair like that, I'm working on it. But um, I, am, I am thankful to be back. And before I go into my sermon, I, <laughs> this has nothing to do with it, the sermon but like, I just wanted to share this because I saw this, and I just thought it was the most ridiculous headline I had seen all week, um, so maybe it'll get a laugh um, together. But uh, look at this headline, first on CNN, Royals had dinner together at the Buckingham Palace. So now it's breaking news when people eat. <laughs> That's the world we live in, that if first on CNN, people had dinner, and then they put the Sad picture of the queen in her coffin. I don't know. Anyways, I I just careful how much news you digest for that reason alone, right there. Let me um, let me pray, and we'll dump, we'll jump into our teaching. Lord, thanks for your grace. Thanks for um, your compassion and mercy. Thank you for our church, and Lord, um, thanks uh, for your word. I pray, God, that. Now, as we look into it, that you would speak to our hearts in real ways, that we would sense your presence. And I just pray, God, for anyone here today that's just tired and burned out. Um, Maybe they're hiding in the shadows. Uh, Maybe there's just something that they can't fathom admitting. I just pray, Lord, that they would be met with the power of your spirit, where you are there with open arms and saying, my grace is sufficient for you. I love you. There's healing and hope and you give it, Jesus. Thank you. We pray it in your name. Amen. Um, you know, if, I, uh, if there was like 20, 20 people, five people, 20 people, 30 people in a room, and, so, and I was outside of that room, and someone came to me and goes, I have a challenge for you. I want you to go into that room of five or 15 or 30 people, whatever it is, and I want you to get them to fight as fast as you can. Get them arguing with one another. Um, I would walk into that room, and I would bring up politics. Um, I'd bring up some sort of, you know, some political issue, and I would guess that that uh, would get that room fired up pretty quickly, because politics is one of these things uh, that divides us, that separates us. You know, we have different camps, and we sort of set up camp, and we don't like the other camp. And as of late, and maybe it's always been that this way. I don't know. I mean, some of you who are older might, might say it's, it's always been this way. But as of late, it seems like it's gotten just nastier and nastier, the way that we interact with each other. The, the, the fighting, the bickering, the slandering, the tearing down, um, it seems as if that's almost the norm now. Not... Like, we'll listen to each other, and, and maybe we'll respectfully disagree. But no, it's like, you're wrong, you're bad, you're evil. And when you look at, like, our towns, like, you look at our cities, our states, our country, and even the world, I think all of us would tend to agree that we are living in a fragmented world. We're living um, in, in a world where people take sides Uh, people plant into different camps. And, you know, the question is like, how do we live as Christians in such a fragmented world? How do we live as Christians in such a divided world? Because aren't we called to be the salt of the earth? You know, the name of our church is called the Highlands. And one of the texts that that, uh, led us to that that, that name was when Jesus talks about being a city on a hill, being a light on the hill. Like we are called to shine. We are called to be people who, who like show up and shine where people can like see that there's something different about us. Churches in essence are meant to be little cities within cities that have a different, different set of values and live differently than the rest of the world. That we are called because of Jesus to be beacons of hope and unity and peace. And so how is it that we live in this time, in this moment, when things just look so fractured? And it's easy to get caught and swept up on a side. Or to fight or to slander. To put one another down. This series that that Todd kicked off last week is looking at this psalm. Psalm 37 and verse three says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. This morning, I want to look at that dwell in the land. There's, um, there's a, a, a season in Israel's history that's, um, particularly difficult. And actually they've had, they've had like, when you look at the history of of Israel from the very beginning, it just seems like they've had a tough, they've had tough path where they find themselves, uh, you know, in captivity. And then God brings them into the promised land. But then over time they disobey God and they are, um, they are overtaken by the Babylonians. And then a group of them is taken out and exiled. And it's like, The people just can't seem to get it right and they pay the price for their sin. And there's one season in particular where the people have rebelled against God and uh, Babylon, which was at the time of the prophet Jeremiah, was the dominant military power. And because of the sin of Israel um, and their rebellion against God, God allows Babylon to overtake Israel. And um, Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, they conquer Israel. And uh, they, they do something that's, that's sort of interesting. They didn't just go in and, like, wipe out all of the people and then sort of leave with, with all of the wealth um, and kind of take in the plunder and let the city burn. Um, they did do that. But they, they did something interesting in that... Um, they end up bringing different groups of people, different, different Israelites back to Babylon with them. So uh, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a, a prophet. And uh, his nickname was actually the weeping prophet because uh, he literally would just mourn that no one ever listened to him. Like God would give him these messages and he would speak them and the people just didn't want to hear it. They just rebelled. But Jeremiah, he, he was a prophet who was not exiled into Babylon. He was left in Jerusalem, and God gives him a message which he writes down and he sends to this group of people, the the Israelites, the Jews in in Babylon, and this is what he says. He says, this is Jeremiah 29, starting in verse one. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers, and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. Now, I, I highlighted on here, if you go back to verse one, uh, look at the different groups that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians took with them back to Babylon. The elders, the priests, the prophets, go to the next verse the king qu- the queen mother court officials leaders of judah jerusalem skilled working skilled workers and the art- uh, the artists and it's interesting because why why this group of people why did the babylonians take this group of people well when you look these are the leaders of Israel. These are the cultural influencers of Israel. And so, what Babylon wanted to do is not just destroy Israel, they want, they want Israel to assimilate. They want Israel to become like Babylon, to become like the Babylonians, to, um, to give up their cultural and spiritual identities as the people of, of Yahweh, of God. And 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 to become like the Babylonians, to become pagan, to become culturally like the the and, and spiritually, and totally like the Babylonians. Why? Because if we get them to assimilate, they're never going to be a threat again. And so the Babylonians bring the the cultural influencers, the leaders of Israel, to Babylon. And 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 basically. They're going to be programmed to be like the Babylonians, and then they'll send them back to Jerusalem, so the rest of the people will fall under the leadership and become like the Babylonians. And so, these exiles, these leaders, they end up going uh, to Babylon, and they end up living actually at the beginning on the outskirts of the city of Babylon, and they had prophets that were amongst them. And the prophets would say, okay, this is fine. This, isn't, this is not ideal. We've been overtaken, uh, but it's fine. We'll live on the outskirts of the city. We'll be safe. Uh, we'll just kind of do our thing. We'll be separatists. And we'll live on the outskirts of the city. We'll, we'll be separatists. And at, at, you know, at, at some point, God is going to deliver us. He will bring us back home. And so just keep your head down. Um, Don't interact with the Babylonians. Stay out and we should be fine. And then Jeremiah sends this letter. And it would have been just utterly amazing uh, to have read this as an exile. Listen to what verses 4 to 7 go on. This is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried from exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle there. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for the Lord. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is almost offensive, to the. I would think, to the exiles. What? God is saying three things. He's saying, I want you to live there. Not just exist. Not just hide. I don't want you to be a tourist. I want you to actually make Babylon your home. And this, like, are you kidding me? Imagine if you were a a Jewish artist and you lived in Jerusalem and you walked to work every morning. And now you find yourself, you've been been stripped from your home and you're in Babylon and you, you get up and you have to go and walk the city streets and you're walking the city streets in Babylon and you're seeing temples to other pagan gods. You're seeing sorcery, debauchery, idols, idolatry. And you're like, how can I live here? I got to get out. I got to get back. And then you hear this letter from the prophet Jeremiah where God is saying, no. I want you to plant yourself there. I don't want you just to survive. I want you to thrive. And in the midst of walking these pagan streets and these people who are opposed to you, these people who have defeated you, they are your enemies. Who think different than you, who act different than you, who worship different than you. I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city and I want you to pray for them. it's bold. It's offensive. He says, I want you to live there and I want you to make it your home. The second thing is I don't, he goes, I don't want you to assimilate. You are the people of God. I have called you to live different. I've called you to be holy. I've called you to shine. I've called you to live differently. So do not assimilate. Do not become like them. I need you to stand out, not fit in. And the third, he says, love the city. (laughs) Love the city because I've brought you there. Under horrible circumstances, I've brought you there. Make it your home. Did you know that in the New Testament, all Christians are considered exiles? You are an exile. I'm an exile. In the book of James, right away, James 1.1, 1, 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations' greetings. First Peter, when Peter writes his letter, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the province. Of... And then he goes on to a bunch of names I can't pronounce. But James and Peter, the Greek word, that they use there is parapabinos. I should have spent more time in Greek class listening. But it means literally resident aliens. You, you, you are a resident alien. The metaphor in the New Testament, when they're using that Greek word, is in essence like your, your, your residence, your citizenship is not of this world. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And you are one who sojourns on this earth. You are a resident alien. This is not your ultimate home. And this is just something Christians forget. And it's hard, I get it, because this is all we know what we see and have experienced our entire lives the world and everything we've we can set our eyes on and experience and feel it's like it's what we know and yet christians are called to look past that like open our spiritual eyes to see that like we, this is not all there is this is not our ultimate home like we are on a journey through now some people may then respond in a way that, like, if this isn't my ultimate home, then I'll just, you know, like, kind of live as a tourist, not really care. I'm going to stay on the outskirts of the city, just like the, the, Israel, the exile started in Babylon. You know, I'm going I'm to separate as far as I can from the evil pagan world, the evil fragmented world, and just get through it. And I can't wait for heaven. I can't wait for, you know, a new heaven and a new earth and the new resurrected bodies and just kind of get through this. God's like, nope, I didn't call you to live as just some sort of separatist tourist. On the other hand, and I think we might, a lot, of, a lot of us might be more guilty of this, he's not saying assimilate, just embrace everything in the world, the cultural identity, the spiritual identity, or lack thereof in the world, of your particular culture, your particular community. Be like everybody else. Seek, you know, everything that people say will make you happy and like live like everybody else. That's not what God's saying either. He's saying something. I, I, I want you to make home, make it your home. But remember that it's not your ultimate home. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. It's part of your call as a Christian to care about the city, to care about where you live, the community that you're a part of. But are, like, are we noticeable? Are we any different than everybody else? Are we the city on a hill? Are we a light in the midst of darkness? But God puts you here. It's really interesting because look in verse 1. It says, Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So it looks like Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they're responsible for the exile. But then look in verses 4 and 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. And then verse 7. Also seek the prosperity, peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. So did Nebuchadnezzar carry them in or did God? Who was it? Who's to blame? Well, the truth is God used cultural forces. He orchestrated the cultural elite forces uh, to get those, to get the exile, you know, to, to move the exiles to, to Belmont. At the end of the day, it was God. Now you might've said, you know, and I'm, I'm going to use Delano because this is where our church is, but I know, I know many of you don't live in Delano. So, uh, uh, but I'm going to use Delano because that's where our church is. You know, like you, some of you go. I moved to Delano or Rockford or wherever you live um, because I got a job in the area, or um, I moved to Delano because I could get some land or a little bit, you know, more more land. I think I own a whole quarter acre. <laughs> or the schools. You have great schools. And so we moved to Delano for the, the schools. And, and you attribute those things to why you live here. But ultimately, God brought you here. Do you realize that? That God puts you here. He, um, he, used, he may have used cultural forces, but he ultimately, he puts you here for purpose, with purpose and meaning. It means you have a role to play in this church and in this community. And there is need. I want to show you, look at, this is some of the data that I found online about Delano. Look at the trajectory of growth. I mean, it is up and to the right. This is since 1990, you know, 30, 30 years now, there's certainly cities that are growing more and at a faster uh, pace, but since the year 2000, Delano has doubled. Delano is net growing 200 people a year. And, and that's like, I, I, I think, when you look outside when you leave and you see all these houses going up, I think that you know it's been 3% growth over the last number of years. It's likely going to go higher. And so in 10 years... Delano will at least add 2,000 more people. Thousands of people that need the hope and love of Jesus Christ. And if you, if you don't think that God put this church here for reason and for purpose, or if, if you don't think that God put you as a follower of Jesus in this community with purpose and on mission, you're wrong. There is a need now. And there is a growing need as we look forward because of the growth that we're seeing in our community. Because the reality is God God wants churches everywhere there's people. And God sent this church, God sent you to this city, to this church to reach people who live here now and the over 200 people that are going to move in every single year. And if we don't look at it like that, we're in trouble. If the church is primarily about you, if the church is primarily about you and your kids and your experiences and your feelings, you failed to realize that God has sent you on mission. That you are called to something beyond yourself. And I, 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 I hate to come back the first week and talk about this, but I have to. One of the first things when I came in is I looked at the board of children's ministry leaders that we need. And I, I looked at the names and I'm like, it's the same people. It's the same. And I'm thankful, so thankful for you guys that do it. Um, but there's need. And, and like, do you see the hundreds of kids? Last week, there was over 200 kids here. Do you know that 90% of churches in the United States are 100 or less? Total. We have two little churches of kids in the church. And God put us here to reach kids. It's just part of our identity as a church. So if you don't like that, I, I'm sorry, but that's part of our identity as a church. And we need people to look past their themselves and their experiences and what they want to serve because that's what it means to follow Jesus because that's what he did. He stepped out of his home. His comfort to come make this his home. And what did he do? I came to serve. And he invested in people that were hard, he invested in people that were forgotten, he invested in kids. And then he walked a path of suffering and death. And when he had all the power of heaven and the legions of angels at his disposal as he hung on the cross and he could have called at any time to take him down and to wipe out, he said what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He loved us in the midst of our nailing him to the cross and spitting on him and jeering him. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't like move our heart, then we haven't fully experienced and embraced the cross. But when that sinks in, we we recognize that how can I not respond and love and serve? Because, wow, look at what Jesus has done for me. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. It's crazy because guess what? These are like the the Israelites looked and they go, these are our enemies. And he says, "I, I want you to not only seek the peace and the prosperity of the city, but I want you to pray for them. And I was thinking about this this last week. When, when, this last week, how many times did I pray for my enemies? How many times did I pray for people that have hurt me? How many times have I prayed for a Republican or a Democrat? How many times have I prayed for someone who's just different than me or thinks different than me? Or posts different than me on f- Instagram? Zero. Zero. And that's not right. Um, I'll tell you one thing. If you're bitter about, you know, if you're bitter um, towards somebody because they've let you down or they've hurt you or they've talked bad about you or your kids or something, um, nothing will absolutely destroy bitterness than praying for that person. I want to encourage you, if there's somebody in your life that you've, you've sort of written off or has hurt you? What if you pray for him? So, make this your home. However, do not assimilate. Do not, adopt the, do not adopt the cultural norms, beliefs, attitudes, and worship. I want you to stick out. And I think that's a question that each of us has to ask. Like, do people actually notice that I'm a Christian? And I I think it's sad because I see a lot of Christians who, like, when they're around other Christians, they act like a Christian. And then they get around other, and they just sort of adopt the group. They call it groupthink. And it's just like, we all do that. I do that. But we're not supposed to do that. You're called to shine. You're called to live different. You're called to represent Jesus. The, the The best way to sort of understand this is that we have been called to be ambassadors. Ambassadors are like, you know, we send a, a, someone from the United States to go live in Sweden, and they're an ambassador to Sweden. And um, you know, the reality is they go and they live in Sweden, and they, you know, they, they, they. They embrace the, cult, the culture. However, at the end of the day, they are, you know, they hold tightly to the, to the beliefs, the, the, the belief systems, the cultural values of the United States. And they want to influence. They want to have an influence. So no matter what, they make sweet in their home, but ultimately their home is the United States. In Second Corinthians, Paul says, look, we are Christ's ambassadors meaning you've been sent by God, you represent God. You are on soil that is not home, but make it your home, but remember that you represent something bigger. You represent Christ, I represent Christ, for better or worse. We we represent Christ. In Philippians, Paul says, join together and following my example. That's guts to say that. Have, I mean, how comfortable would you say to a young person who maybe just became a Christian, follow me, just watch me. You want to know what it is to be like Jesus? You want to know what it is to follow Jesus? Just come hang out with me, watch me. And Paul has the confidence to say, I can, I, 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 I'm your example. And he goes on to say, and just as you have us as a model, keep your, eye on, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This is about the importance of who you surround yourself with. For as I have often told you before and now I tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their gods is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. In other words, they they just want what the world can give them. They seek the pleasure of the world. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. You are a resident alien. You are in exile. You are a citizen of heaven if you profess to be a follower of Jesus. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So make this your home, yes. Seek the peace and the prosperity of your home, yes. But always have in mind that you belong to Jesus and you are a citizen of heaven. Now, how do I do this? And the band can make their way up. It's hard. It's really hard. But two things. And I said this earlier, but there's nothing that will turn your heart from bitterness than praying for the people that are against you or think different than you or have hurt you. And I want, to, I want to challenge you that part of seeking the peace and the prosperity, particularly in these divided times, is let's pray for our enemies. Jesus told us to do the same thing. Jesus prayed for his enemies at his worst moment. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Second is this, you just can't do any of this without Jesus. It's impossible. And when you look at what he did, that he left his heavenly home and he made his earth his home and he loved us and he fought for our peace and our prosperity and he healed us and he died for us. At the same time, he never gave in, he never assimilated. He lived as a light on a hill. He is our light on a hill. And until you surrender yourself to him, and you let that truth get into your heart and really transform your heart, it'll be impossible to live this way. But guess what? We are invited to live this way. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can live this way. And the vision for this church, the Highlands, is that we truly would be a city within the city, a city that lives different, a city that has different values, a city that shines the love of Jesus Christ a people that's willing to sacrifice, a people that's willing to look beyond what we want or our experiences and our feelings and love people, truly love people, even the people that are against us. And the Holy Spirit can get us and allow us to do that. Let's stand together and we'll pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, thank you that um, you did all these things, that you left your home I pray God that we would um, that we would dwell in the land, that we'd recognize that You've placed us here. But God, that we would our eyes would be set on You and 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 the message of of hope and grace of the gospel, and to re- and to understand and to believe that this is not our ultimate home, but that You've sent us on mission. That there is work that we get to be a part of in Your kingdom, and I just pray that Lord, we would be a light on the hill that we would be a a people that people notice are, are different and love different and serve different, sacrifice different. A people that spend their time different, their money different. All because of you, Jesus. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.